Thank you. Always good to be here, and uh, thank the uh, Roys for their hospitality. And uh, always feel at home. Always look forward to being here. Someone welcomed me this morning to my home at Whitburn, so I'm at home. <laughs> Praise God. So if I say anything to offend, you have to forgive me. Pull in your toes today. No, <laughs> so I don't step on them. We have to have a healing service later. <laughs> there is a great story in the New Testament. It's in every gospel. And in every passage uh, or every gospel, they tell the story of the Sadducees. The Sadducees was the ruling sect in the time of Jesus. And they were a religious sect that did not believe in the resurrection. So they came to try to test Jesus. And they came and they had this wonderful story contrived. And they said there was a man uh, who had seven brothers. And the man married and then he died. And according to the law, because of God's uh, protection of the inheritance uh, in Israel, once God gave them something, it was to stay in their family from generation to generation. And so... The story goes like this. He said this man died, and so this man, was his brother was supposed to marry his wife because his wife had had no children by the first brother. And so the second brother was supposed to marry her and raise up seed or a child uh, to inherit the promise, the land that was given to them uh, for the first brother. Well, the second brother dies before they have children, and on it goes through seven brothers. So they said testing Jesus, in the resurrection, whose wife will this man or this woman be? And whose inheritance will it be? I mean, it's just a, you know, it was a stinking test. And Jesus says, well, you don't understand anything about the resurrection or the power of God. Because when we're resurrected, in this sense, we're like the angels. We don't get little wings or little halos, but we're like the angels in this sense that we neither marry or have children. We are complete in Christ. And he said, as far as uh, the relationship between uh, these men and this woman with God, you are in error. Don't you remember in the writing in the uh, Old Testament when Moses is at the burning bush and he says to the Lord, whom shall I say sent me? And he says, I am that I am because I am the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. And Jesus says, God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Now, I looked at that passage, and like you, I mean, I've been reading the scriptures since for 46 years. That's when I got say 46 and a half years. And uh, reading this passage over and over, and, and one day I decided to just kind of look up the idea of death in the, in the New Testament. And I was absolutely amazed that our testimony in the New Testament is that Jesus died and is resurrected. That really and truly the book of Acts deals with this over and over and over. It says he died. We're witnesses that he died and we are witnesses that he is alive. And then throughout the New Testament it talks about death in many different kinds of ways. It talks about people who are dead in their trespasses and sins because they have no spiritual life. And really and truly, all of us prior to Christ are dead in our trespasses and sins. Because the whole old creation suffered death under the judgment 
of Adam. And in Christ, we have a new creation in which when we come to the Lord, we become a new creature, a new creation in God, and everything is alive and everything is of God. And so we, we both know him in his death, being crucified with him and buried with him, and we know him in his resurrection and his ascension. Can you say amen? But there's also lots of passages, like in, when Paul writes to Timothy, he says you're supposed to take care of the widows. He says, but if there are widows who are actually living just for pleasure, then they are dead in, in their behavior. And I, I began to think about this whole thing about being alive and being dead. And I realized that, I mean, he writes to the church, I think it's Smyrna he writes to, and he says, you have a reputation that you're alive, but you're really dead. I thought, wow, man, that, that doesn't sound too good, does it? How would you like to get a letter from Jesus that said, everybody thinks you're alive in, in me, but you're really dead? That's not the kind of letter that I would like to get. I'd probably say return to sender on it. Address unknown. Go, Elvis, go. <laughs> because that's a, that's a harsh statement. How in the world can we be Christians and be alive and yet be dead? So there's got to be some element in this issue of he's the God of the living and not of the dead, and that we as the people of God, though we are alive, have slipped in our faith and slipped in our relationship with him where we're actually not living in life. And I started to think about the process of life. And you know, when God made man, he breathed the breath of life into him. And he became a living soul. And then in the Gospel of John, Jesus appears in a, in a room where all the doors are locked and the windows are shut. After the resurrection, because the disciples are terrified, they're going to be killed. And Jesus appears and he says, he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. And they're born again. And when we're born again, God breathes upon us, and we have new life. And our relationship with him is brand new because the spirit inside of us is no longer of the old creation, which is death, but it's of the new creation, which is alive. And it's, it's a, I don't know about you, but when I got saved, it was literally going from death to life, from darkness to light. My life radically changed because God had breathed life in me. And everything that I did and everything that I pursued was centered around this relationship with him because this, he was the only one who had ever known everything about me and loved me and had given me life. Come on. And I realized that in our relationship with God, we can go through the motions day in and day out without any breath of life coming to us. We just go through the motions. And I, I thought about this, this whole process of, of, of walking with God so that I'm in a living relationship with Him. And I began to think about heaven and hell. I, I, I began to think about all the contrasts that are presented in this death and life scenario. And I realized that hell is really a place not only where there's no hope and there's no light, and God doesn't dwell, but there's no breath. If you ever had the breath knocked out of you, you know it's one of the worst feelings in the world. There are certain tests they do for your heart, and in that moment, it's as if you're straining to, to find breath and find, a, find your heart beating again. 
And I began to realize that in our lives, sometimes our lives never change. They just seem to be exactly the same. I know it's not true of any of you here, maybe down the street in another church, but not here. But in reality, how many of you have, have struggled with some of the same things over and 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 over, and you just can't seem to find life? And pretty soon your prayer life kind of dissipates because it, it really has no breath in it. There's no life in it. People say to me, and this is just free, people, you know, when you're witnessing to them, trying to share the gospel with them, and they, you draw the picture of the difference between heaven and hell, and they'll say, well, if I go to hell, I'll be with all my friends. Let me tell you something. There's no friends in hell. No friends. No life. No breath. And isn't it a sad thing in the life of the church that we actually get to a place where sometimes in a church, your pastor and I just briefly talked about this, it can be because we were just kind of praising you for the sound of life and pray and talking the, that's there, the buzz, I think uh, it, it's called here, of, of just when you're greeting one another or talking to one another before the service or even when the greeting time when you're supposed to be talking to somebody you don't know. Uh, trying to help you. <laughs> There's this life. And he said, boy, it's much better than the times when you have a church where you can hear a pin drop when you say, go talk to somebody. There's life. There's life. There's life. There's life. But the reality is that in our relationship in, in the church that we can, we can live our lives in such a way where we have no breath of God anymore. And I want to talk just a little bit about how this life process should function in our lives. Now, turn with me, if you will, uh, to Genesis, and I have to get my glasses so I can see. I think it's Genesis 50, verse 25. Yep. And this is a great story. You know, uh, Abraham and Isaac were supposed to dwell in the land. And Jacob was supposed to dwell in the land, and they sometimes made excursions out, but they always came back. And let me tell you something. You and I are all supposed to live in the inheritance that God gives us. We're all supposed to live in the place of fulfilled promise. This is really a good message. I'm, I'm enjoying it. Good. We're supposed to live in a place of inheritance where God has given us something, and there's life in it. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. Come on, instead of pickles and vinegar. <laughs> but many of you live in a, in a land of pickles and vinegar, don't you? Life is not, not sweet. Life is not happy. Life is not filled with joy. Life's not filled with fulfillment. Let me tell you something. You don't know it, but you're dead. <laughs> we'll have to everybody get a new hairdo when we leave here. Your hair will be flying back. The reality is we got to come back to places to finding life. And you know what? Sometimes in the life of a church, we can focus on events that Jesus has accomplished for us and skip other events. Sometimes churches get focused on the cross. Well, it's the truth. We're cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Hello? We preach Christ and Him crucified. But as Christians, we also are people who live in the power of the resurrection, in life. 
Hello? And, I, and I've been in churches and with Christians, and all they can ever do, they talk about it, they pray it, they sing it. I, I, you know, I know you don't like for me. That's not God your Father. He loves you. He looks at you. He relates to you. He knows you. He understands you. He takes you and says, come unto me. You say, well, I'm not perfect. He said, I'm aware. <laughs> I got that part. But I love you, and we're in the process of bringing change to you. Hello? And then there are people who stay there, and all they can talk about is that, that I, when I was born again, when I was born again. But they never go on in the relationship of when Jesus is now Savior, living God, but they miss the fact that he's Lord. And the relationship with him stays back there. And the reality is we have to have a relationship with him where he's the Lord of our lives today because there is breath. I don't know if you've noticed this, but you, you need to breathe more than one breath. Right. I've been around a few people you wish they'd only breathe one <laughs> or at least not ex exhale. But the fact of the matter is there is a life flow from God to us and from us back to God. And there's a living relationship with him as we walk with him and know him as Lord of our lives. We serve him today. So I'm always glad to pray about what Jesus has done. I'm always glad to thank him about the resurrection and I've been born again, that I'm a new creature. But you know what? I really need to be praying about the things of today. Am I talking to the right people today? I need to be talking to him and have the same life experience with him today as I had the day he forgave me of my sins, the day he breathed life into me, the day he filled me with the Holy Spirit. I need that relationship. And when I know I am not living in it, I hunger for it. I don't know if you've ever gotten depressed. I don't know if life's ever been hard for you. But I would probably think that maybe all of us have been in situations that were not easy, where we were hurt, where we were down, where our expectations were dashed, where they were broken, and yet we have difficulty coming to God. But I want to tell you, in those places, those are the best places to come to God because there's no pretense. There's no foolishness. You don't want to pray doctrine. You, you want to get down gut level with God. I said, God, if you don't help me, there's no one who can. And I love the body of Christ. I love the ministry. I love all those things that, that take place in the life of, of the church and, and knowing the Lord. But there are places in your life where you just flat have to say, Father God, help me. Jesus, help me. Holy Spirit, help me. 
because I have no strength. I have no breath. God is so incredibly faithful. His goal is not to put you in a position where you're constantly feeling like you need to say to him, I must have failed. I must have blown it. It must be my fault. I'm not worthy. He wants to put you in a position where you're a people of faith, people that know him, people that trust him, people that can say, I don't care how bad it is. I don't care how miserably I've messed up. I don't care. I will run to God because at his throne there is mercy and grace in time of need. I think I've told you a story. It's one of my favorite stories, I, and it's on my mind, kind of back in the part of my mind, because I'm, uh, I'm going back to this church in August in Melbourne, Australia, a very large church. Uh, when I was there two years ago, it was 10,000 people, so I don't know what it is now. And uh, I was there when it was only about 3,000 people. Kevin Connor was the pastor of the church. You may know him from some of his writings. And uh, we were ministering prophetically to three or four hundred of their leaders. That's a leadership team. <laughs> and so there were two other men and myself. We were ministering prophetically, calling, you know, they had fasted and prayed and set themselves aside for many weeks and seeking God to God to speak to them, give them direction. And there was a couple that came up, and one of the other men went first and ministered to them. And, and I was so occupied with what God was showing me, I really don't remember what he said. I'm sure it was good because I've ministered with him in a number of countries, and he's a very well-respected uh, prophetic ministry. And I saw, as they knelt down, I saw this little voice. It was really like kind of a voice, but I mean it had... It had some kind of substance to it because it was like, it was like a, this white wisp of life. That's the only way I can describe it. And it just kind of ascended before the throne. And, and as I watched this little voice, it went in before the Lord. And, and as I looked again, it was a little boy, and he had this cap on, and, and he was singing. And, uh, and, and in this scene, he, he looked down at his parents and, and said, it's okay. I'm here with Jesus. And so I went up to them and I said, look, I'm not going to try to prophesy this. I'm just going to share with you what the Lord said to me and showed me. And I looked at them and I said, sometimes Jesus does not explain the things that go on in our lives. He doesn't answer us. And that's where we have to say, you're Lord. But I want you to know what I saw, and I told them what I saw, and they began to weep. And I said, you need to know that what happened to you was not your fault. And this little child wants you to know that he's with Jesus and everything is okay. It's all right. Well, everybody's weeping by now. As it turns out, this couple had tried for years to have children. And they, the woman would get pregnant and then she'd miscarry. Get pregnant and miscarry. And the whole worship team had prayed and prayed and prayed. And finally she conceived, gave birth. 
The child was nearly two years old and died of SIDS. And it broke everybody's heart, crushed them. But in that moment, that short few minutes, God not only healed their lives and their heart, but he healed all the leadership team, and that would just go out to the whole church. And from that point, that couple had five more kids because God healed something. Can I explain why? <laughs> Not in a million years. But I know that God's love was so great in the midst of difficulty and, and trauma and devastation, and here's this couple fasting and praying to try to get direction for their lives to serve God. God comes and visits them and heals them over a very traumatic, devastating experience. We serve a living God. And there's nothing in your life that he can't come in and touch and heal miraculously and supernaturally. Does he do it always that way? No. Sometimes he, he uses years of ministry or teaching or training or counseling or whatever, but he's still the God who is the God of the living and not the dead. And we have to take the circumstances of our life that have produced the feelings and of death to us, and sometimes it literally is death, and we have to bring it into his presence, and he can breathe upon it and bring life. I've told you the story of my sister being murdered the day after she finished medical school and my youngest brother dying of AIDS, things that were traumatic to me. But when I went to minister in Rwanda, Right after there had been that ethnic cleansing and all the horrible violence, I was able to minister to those people from a position of, I know what it's like to see someone die of AIDS. I know what it's like to see family maliciously killed. I understand. And I thought God breathed upon the most devastating experiences of my life. He breathed upon it and brought life to it. Now, if I can get back to the message. We're in Genesis. Everybody in Genesis? Everybody take a deep breath. It may get worse. <laughs> you know the story of Joseph, how God had given him dreams and his brothers were jealous of him and they sold him into to slavery, and he's in Egypt and, and, and thrown in jail eventually, and, and God raises him up, and he becomes uh, the only one who is more powerful than Joseph in all of Egypt was the Pharaoh. And God sent him there to save his family. We'll get back to that. So this is after Joseph has saved his family. He's buried his father back in, in the, the Promised Land, and he's come back. Uh, to finish his service to Pharaoh. And it says, So Joseph dwelt in Egypt, he and his father's household, and Joseph lived 110 years. Joseph saw Ephraim's children to the third generation. Ephraim is his son. The children of Machir, the son of Manasseh, were also brought up on Joseph's knees. And Joseph said to his brethren, I am dying, but God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land to the land which he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph took an oath from the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died. Now what he made the, the 70 people who were now in, uh, in Egypt promise is that when God came and visited, 
they would take his bones and take it to the promised land. Now, I don't know. I'm going to stretch this a little bit. But it seems to me that Joseph's faith in God had become so great. Now, he had two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. Ephraim means fruitful, and Manasseh means, in an extended sense, God has caused me to forget my sorrow. Manasseh was technically the firstborn, but God gave the blessing of the firstborn to Ephraim, the blessing. And I want to suggest to you that in your lives, sorrow and struggle and difficulty, God can cause you to forget, but that's not where he leaves you. He also leaves you with blessing. And the one that's going to have the most production in your life is blessing. Come on. And so here's Joseph, and I think that when he saw God reconcile his brothers to him and that he was sent there, and he actually says, what you did to me, you meant for evil, but God meant it for good because God used it in my life, and I was able to turn around and make a way to save you and to send you back and to go back to the promised land and bury our father. But God sent me here because he had a purpose in my life for these things, and he used these things for good. And then I think that faith got so deep within Joseph of the purposes of God and the knowledge that God had promised to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and to him, and to all his brethren, that they would be visited and taken back into the land. That faith got inside of him. Now, I don't know if you know much about red blood cells, but red blood cells are reproduced in your bones. Red blood cells carry life. And I want to think, I think that life got in series into Joseph's bones. And the whole symbolism here of taking his bones back to the promised land is it was a fulfillment of promise that got so deep within Joseph that he kept reproducing faith in his heart. I want to say to you today that God wants to bring red blood cells by his spirit inside of us of faith to start to reproduce inside of us that we so are committed to the promises of God and the purposes of God that it reproduces life in us day after day after day. It carries the oxygen day after day after day within us, the very breath of life. Faith is the, is the instrument through which God's breath is, is reproduced within us. It carries through our whole being, through the whole body. And I want to say to you that God is looking to raise you up as a church, to bring you into a new place where you once again have a new faith. I think that you've settled and God has put you in a place of peace and it's a good place, but God's not going to leave you here. God is looking to raise you up and cause you to rise up in a new place for new purposes, for new fulfillment, for new realities. I, I look at all the people who are older than me. God bless you. I'm glad you're here. I feel better about myself. <laughs> God's not finished with you. As long as you have breath, God is not finished with you. There's faith that needs to be reproduced in you to go back to the promises of God. What time am I supposed to quit? <laughs> I had an elder in the church in, in, in Texas that said, you can preach as long as you want, Pastor, but I'm leaving at 12. <laughs> 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 I 
What time really? I'm supposed to start by now. Half 12, be all right? Should I try it again? How many of you give me 10 more minutes? 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60. Exodus 12. When God starts talking about bringing Israel out of Egypt, how many of you think that he looks at them like little lambs? My little sweeties. My little cutie pies. I want to take you along. There are enemies that try to rule this earth and rule in your home and rule in your workplace. Defeat the enemy. He has a place for you to serve him, a place for you to accomplish something in life. See, living and dead. <laughs> okay, we're live. Where was I? Oh, yeah, staying at the Oasis. Who, who wants to stay there? Because God wants to take you forward and do something inside of you and cause you to breathe the breath of life all over again to accomplish his purposes in the earth. 
I love that passage. I love that whole idea. I love that whole purpose of God. Because when you feel like you've been put on the shelf, when you've been sidelined, when there's no spark of faith within you, it's the worst feeling in the world. No bread. How do we get back to it? We have to go back and look and say, well, where are we going? What are the promises of God? You really think God just wants you to live a, a, a miserable, kind of humdrum, boring life? Is that why he called you unto himself? Maybe you should just go back and camp at the cross and say, well, I'm, obviously I'm useless. Is that what the scripture says? Is that what the prophetic word said to us today? Of course not. We, we go through the cross. We're cleansed. If I sin, I can go and confess my sin, and he forgives my sin, but I don't have to go back to the cross. That full cleansing is now effectual for the rest of my life and into eternity. Well, I'll go to the resurrection, and I'll just camp there and know that he, he's alive, and I'll declare that he's alive. But you know, when Jesus called the apostles unto himself and he gave them his commission to them, he said, go ye in all to the world and preach the gospel, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them everything that I have commanded you, and I am with you until the end of this age. And the words actually give us that sense, I am with you in this journey to the end of it. That means we're going somewhere. We don't camp at the resurrection. We get up and go. Now, the apostles camped in Jerusalem. They stayed there. And so what did Jesus do? He said, well, I can't have this. I died so the whole world would know the truth. So that persecution can't come to the church. All the apostles stayed in Jerusalem and all the church went out. Hello. It says something about leadership sometimes, doesn't it? Sometimes we like to camp. I can remember a time when the Lord, uh, we had purchased a building, took a lot of work. We were only two years old as a church. We bought this old, old building. We, we refurbed it. And then two, later, two years later, after doing all that, the Lord says, you've got to go into a bigger building. I'll never forget it. Me, great man of faith, said, I'm really tired. <laughs> I really don't want to do that. Now, I don't know what would have happened if I had said, yes, Lord, I'll rise up and do it. I did get up, and we went after the building, and it was constant battle. Constant battle with the city. Constant battle with builders and getting it fixed. Every, everything was a fight. The fight with the city was so great that they decided we couldn't use the building, even though we had already put thousands of dollars in it to refurb it. And, the, and they, they pulled some trickery so that they could look like they weren't really doing anything illegal. But then another church came up behind me and took that building. And because the city we were in was so against churches, 12 churches met in that building for five years. They used it on different days. So we fought... We didn't get to live in the promised land of it, but the churches in the area did, and we had to say, thank you, Lord. You used our fight and the struggle and all the things we went through to make a way for your body in this city. 
we have an inheritance in Christ. It's a place of fruitfulness and blessing. It's my Father's will that you bear much fruit, Jesus said. There is a place of peace and of hope and, and freedom from fear. There is a place where we can live as the people of God and be excited about the Lord and serve Him with joy. And there is a place for you to have an inheritance in God where you're not always struggling, where you can call on the name of the Lord and He's there and He reaches out and He helps you. This is our inheritance in Christ. But Israel, all their history, failed to come into their inheritance except in David. Is a type of Christ. God is not always wanting you to be in a place of warfare. But if you haven't taken your inheritance and you're living in a place where there's no fruitfulness and no faith and no hope and no fulfillment, God says, blow the trumpet, let's get the army up. we got to take the inheritance. So i got to ask you today as a church and as individuals, are you living in your inheritance or are you breathless? Because I believe God wants to sound the trumpet in your midst and say, you got to get up again. I didn't know you were fasting for a week. But I would suggest to you in this fast, you need to say, God, give us victory over our enemies. Husbands, give me victory, O oh God, in my family. Wives, give me victory in my family, in my home. Children, God, give me victory in my life. Church, give me victory in this church. Let this church rise up and do all that you want to do. Whatever you ask us to do, we'll move forward with you. There is something that God wants to break today, so I'm going to ask you to stand. i got five more minutes. Would you stand with me? My intent was come to preach and minister to you some prophetically, but I believe I've brought you a prophetic word for the whole church. Would you agree with that, Pastor? There's nothing like getting a prophetic word as individuals. I, I understand that. I actually come to, to do that. But if God doesn't move that way, there's nothing I can do. But I believe God has given you all a prophetic word. And these are the points I want to go over with you. One, we have to have the breath of God. We have to have the life of God. And if you're in a place of death and sorrow and misery... Know this, that God is the God of the living. And he will lift you out of that death and that struggle and that difficulty and give you life. If you're in need, God will meet with you and minister to you. Secondly, as a church, we got to get faith back in our bones. Back in our being so that whether we get to, to live in the promises of God or not, we're going to go there one way or the other. Just like the church that fought for that building that 12 other churches ended up using. And finally, I hear a trumpet for you. And you've got to shake off complacency. You've got to shake off division. You've got to shake off accusations. You've got to shake off displeasure. Say, we serve the living God. And his purposes are greater than my attitudes.
And if you have attitudes that need to be corrected, you go to God and say, here they are. Don't try to hide them. Don't try to cover them up. Just say, this is where I am. This is why I'm there. I present it to you, Lord. Let your will be done. Let's bow our heads. How many of you believe God is speaking to you? Just lift your hand. Yep, thank you. Lots of you. Father, now in Jesus' name, I pray for this congregation. All those that are in need of the breath of God, I ask you to come and breathe upon them now in Jesus' name. And I speak to the enemy who would come and try to bring breathlessness and hopelessness and frustration. And I break your power in Jesus' name. And I say to you, you will not prevail in this house, over this leadership, or over this church. You will not prevail. And I break your hold in the name of the Lord. And I command you to move off and to stay away in the name of the Lord. And Father, I pray that you would reach into this church and undergirded and lifted up and cause them to come out of, of just places of complacency and let them come alive again. Let them look for fulfillment, not fulfillment of their dreams, but of your purposes, O oh God. For these sometimes are two different things. And I ask God, those who have lacked faith, that you would breathe the breath of life in them today because you're the God of the living. We don't want to hear a letter that says, everybody says you're alive, but you're really dead. We want to hear, I dwell in the midst of this church and there is a flow of life and the river of God flows through this place and the trees of life are planted on either side of it and the, the leaves of those trees are for the healing of the nations. We ask, O oh God, that you would rise up in the midst of this church and cause this church to fulfill your purposes, that we would know your vision and not, not camp at the cross of the resurrection, but we would be people who walk in relationship with you as the King of kings and Lord of lords, and we sign up today to accomplish your purposes in the earth, your purposes in the earth, Lord God. Let your blessing now come upon this church and these people. Amen and amen. Amen. God bless you.